Wonder Things Studios proudly presents a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Marguerite Reed. Alchemists, I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Lauren Scribe Harris. And you've tuned into a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is an opportunity to sit down with some amazing creators and explore their craft in our never-ending quest to improve our own. Never-ending quest indeed. And, it, you know, it's, it really is when you get right down to it. I look back over the legacy of the Roundtable and so many <laughs> other writing podcasts and in our own personal journeys, Lauren, both yours and mine, and I've writers it just doesn't stop oh my god it does not stop at all and it shouldn't it really shouldn't because there's always something always something new to learn lauren scribe harris my 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 podcast sister uh uh and and writerly chum i am so glad to have you back in the co-host seat we always have a blast on these things and i'm looking forward to repeating that cycle this time around you know i think the seat is starting to um conform to my butt a little bit <laughs> in the past couple of months, so it's starting to feel pretty comfy, I gotta say. You know, I think it, I'm, I might just pull that particular virtual chair aside, stencil your name on the back of it, and make it your chair. Oh, oh good, good. Yes, because, you know, I don't want, like, somebody else farting in it. Well, exactly. God, if we just ever have... have my my creativity plastered so, all of it, and let's, let's not... Have your, on that route. Yes, let's 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 definitely stop that metaphor before it gets gross. We will segue gracefully into allowing me, Lauren, to introduce you uh, uh, to our fabulous guest host for this episode of Twenty Minutes with. May I? Of course. <laughs> Thank you. I always like to ask permission for those things. Uh, friends, science and writing have been the two threads that have been woven deeply into the tapestry of our guest writer's life. Uh, around the age of seven, roughly, she began reading Arkady Leokum's Tell Me Why series. Uh, this is a collection of books that answered questions about the planet, the weather, the stars, and all manner of things in this very short, concise manner. And it was written for kids, but it didn't talk down to them. Uh, she enjoyed those. There was also, <laughs> apparently, a book on prehistoric animals that totally captivated her. Uh, she read it several times, and she really wanted to play with dinosaurs. And and really, who doesn't? <laughs> when she was 13, she decided that writing was her destiny. And her mother, who was a poet, a historian, and a part-time English teacher, was a merciless editor of her initial works, but still allowed her daughter to pound away on her Smith Corona. And her father, an associate professor of piano at Wichita State University, possessed an astonishing collection of vintage vinyl, uh, largely classical pieces, and that provided the soundtrack for our guest host's initial forays into storytelling. Now, she held on to that destiny with the stubborn conviction only a teenager can sustain. And from what I can infer, her high school experience was one fraught with the usual anxieties and insecurities, but largely dominated by writing 
and reading, uh, consuming authors like Ursula K. Le Guin, Tanith Lee, Mary Stewart, and Lauren Isley. Uh, she was writing a lot, her heart fixed on becoming a fantasy author. But she was having a hard time finishing her work, and the work she did finish, she didn't have confidence in to submit for consideration. Now, do you hear that? Do you hear that faint sound in the distance? That is the sound of every listener of this podcast nodding their head in solidarity and shared experience over not having confidence in your work. Holy crap, we've all felt that. Uh, she went on to attend Wichita State University, collecting a bachelor's degree in creative writing. In college, she cut loose a little bit more, drinking deeply from the cup of life and adding some grist to the mill of her life experiences. Details are sketchy, but in our guest host's own words, regrets merely bog one down. <laughs> and ain't that the truth? So as life rolled on, her focus shifted from fantasy to science and science fiction. Uh, one day, a few years ago, some of her older male friends were lamenting the encroachment of age and the decline of their attractiveness to women. Uh, this led to the classic discussion of what these men thought women wanted in a man, a conversation I can only assume was punctuated by peals of disbelieving laughter from our guest host. <laughs> <laughs> but it led to some idle speculation on just what a perfect man would be, and because she is a speculative fiction writer, questions of how he'd be made, and then, of course, why he'd be made. And so she started jotting down some ideas just to see where it would lead her. Now, these literary wanderings led to a story trail that turned into a story road, and soon she was writing whole chapters and tentatively titling the piece The Horses of Achilles. Then, she joined the online writing workshop for science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and started submitting her chapters for critical review. She got an enormous amount of support from that community, and that helped crystallize her vision for the story. And last May, that story, fully wrought and renamed, became a reality as Archangel, book one of the Chronicles of Eubastus, hit the shelves, earning high praise from Publishers Weekly, Strange Horizons, and more. Charles Finley, editor of the magazine of science fiction and fantasy, wrote that our guest host, quote, writes like a techno-valkyrie with a flaming sword for a pen. Her prose will cut you, the action will make you sweat, and the characters will break your heart, then patch it up again. And once she completes that trilogy, and friends, it is a trilogy, she has more ideas in The Hopper, a post-apocalyptic western set in the Great Plains after a nuclear disaster, drought, and biological mayhem, a medieval historical set in Dublin's Viking Age, and another set in the aftermath of the Second Crusade, plus a reimagining of Robin Hood. She's going to be very, very busy. She loves eel sushi, drinks way too much 
Diet Coke, wears armor and beats the crap out of people with swords, and delights in going to bed with her over-the-ear headphones on plugged into her tunes, which are predominantly hard rock and hip-hop. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the round table, Marguerite Reed. Marguerite, holy crap, you've just launched Archangel. Clearly, you have a lot on your plate. You've got a Patreon feed out there. There's there's mayhem aplenty in your life. So I am so very delighted we were able to find some time to, to share some thoughts and explore your craft. Thank you, ma'am. Wow, Dave and, and Lauren, this is an amazing uh, introduction. I don't know if I can live up to this hype. <laughs> <laughs> well, my work is done here. Actually, my work is not done here because honestly, Marguerite, there's 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 not a lot about you out there on Tay Interwebs, which is my usual source for stalking. I mean, uh, researching my my guest host. Um, so, I just before we dive into this, I just have a couple of questions that I want to I want to use to fill in that background. Is that cool with you? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Excellent. Excellent. So you have to be careful, though, whenever you ask a writer, what are you going to be getting? (laughs) (laughs) A lengthy discourse. I have no doubt. Feel feel free to possibly fiction. <laughs> yes. There you go. yes, lies. We tell lies to reveal the truth. <laughs> well, all right. Let's then let's let's just get some of these quick questions out of here. First of all, what when was the first time your writing appeared in print, Marguerite? Are we talking paid print or no? Just print, print just regular print. Uh, to be honest, not counting various high school literary magazines, the first time that other adults laid eyes on it was when I was playing with some fan fiction. Ah, what in, in what setting, out of curiosity? Law and Order. Really? Yes, yes. And actually, it was a great training field. Mm. Uh, I had to do research. I had to be precise. I had to actually finish things. So, yeah, I whipped out Preach, about... Sister. Yes. <laughs> I, I, whipped I come about, from the fanfic trenches myself. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good proving ground. Absolutely. So I've had about 10,000 word stories, about three of them, and I got them up at the very wonderful Law & Order fan fiction website, Apocrypha. I don't know if it's still going. I don't think it is. I think it's been archived, however. Uh, and then after that, I started writing the science fiction, which we now know as Archangel. Very cool. Well, and we've had a lot of guest hosts on the show uh, uh, sing the praises of fan fiction as as a writerly tool uh, uh, and as a delightful pastime. So, you know, wh- whatever stigma fan fiction may have in the world, screw that. Fan fiction rocks. So yeah. awesome. Well, what about your first uh, paid professionals? What are your, fir- your first professional sale? First professional sale was a story about a pregnant astronaut that I made to Strange Horizons. Ah, Yes. Yes, I think that was 2007, but it's been lamentably long ago. Uh, so. And what was the yeah. title of that? Do you recall? That was Bearing Witness. It was a two-parter. Excellent. Yes. And and friends, I can attest to the fact that it's still up there, uh, yep. up on Strange Horizons. So definitely check out Bearing Witness by Marguerite Reed. Excellent. Very cool. And and was there anything unique or unusual about that process? Did, was it just a, I submit this story and they said, hey, we love this story. Here's some money. We're going to print it. Pretty much. Oh, see? <laughs> yeah, it was right out of the gate. I was very surprised. Excellent. How many how many places had you submitted uh, uh, prior to that? How many other places had seen the the, the draft of, of bearing witness before it got picked up? 
I had sent it out and got an elastogram from Gordon Van Gelder at Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. Nice. I think I sent it off to Asimov's, but I don't remember. But it, it wasn't very far down the list of, of the bigs. It may have been, in fact, the second. Wow. That's yeah. outstanding. And then that that, was gratifying. <laughs> yes. It wasn't. <laughs> yes, I'm a professional. Awesome. Very cool. And and some more important questions. Um, uh, what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, good Lord. I don't have one. What? I have many that I enjoy, but I have no favorite. There is no favorite. Good, good. That's actually probably the best answer because really ice cream is awesome. And because ice cream isn't actually food, what about your favorite food besides eel sushi? Well, there are many other sushis, which I enjoy. Um, <laughs> Middle Eastern food, uh, Thai food, those are those are kind of the two uh, forerunners. Okay, okay. I can't pick. No, and nor should you, nor should you. But let, here's a scenario. You're on a desert island with a DVD player and three DVD movies. What three DVD movies are they? Uh, Master and Commander. Ooh, awesome. With Russell Crowe? Excellent. Um, can they be, do they have to be single ones or can they be in a series? <laughs> it will allow you a series of DVDs. Absolutely. Maybe Lorraine Margot with Isabella Johnny. I don't know that. Oh, it's gorgeous. What's it's it called again? Lorraine Margot or Queen Margot. Oh, okay. Lorraine Margot. Okay. Excellent. And I don't know. Probably the, the uh, TV series Survivor Man. <laughs> With Les Stroud, as I would need some tips. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Absolutely. See, nobody, nobody says, you know, give me, give me something that's actually going to help me survive on this freaking desert island. <laughs> very practical. Very pragmatic. Awesome. All right. I think we've filled in the background enough. I'm going to go ahead and set the clock now officially uh, uh, and start our, our 20 minutes with Marguerite Reed. And, of course, we'll ignore this clock, but it's good to have goals. All right. Um, Marguerite, in your interview with uh, with Craig Gidney, uh, you had mentioned the difficulty you faced writing in the first person. And I know you are not alone in, in that challenge of, of, of that particular literary voice. So can you share with our listeners why, first of all, you made the choice into something that you really don't like? Uh, what were the specific challenges that you faced writing in first person? And, and definitely, most importantly, how you overcame them to create Archangel? First person is a point of view that many beginners take. It's easy. It fits. It's, um, it's like skin on skin. You know, you, you are the point of view character. Because I was working in a field that I was not as familiar with, uh, I chose that viewpoint because I've, it, it felt more uh, intimate. Uh, I was able to describe what Vashti was going through, what she was seeing. And I hate to sound kind of woo-woo about it, but it just felt right for the story that I was telling and the, and the character. And as I continued writing, uh, it, it was clear to me that that was the correct choice. Yeah, there's nothing woo-woo. There's nothing woo-woo about saying it felt right. As, as a, from the creative process, that's, that's, that's probably one of the biggest reasons to do anything in a story is that gut yeah, instinct. It's so, it's so touchy-feely. I really don't you know, care to, to go that way. Okay. In describing something. 
but as she is an unreliable narrator, as she does have uh, lots of problems stemming from uh, damage to her psyche, it, it makes it for a more interesting read, I think. So that's why you chose it. What were the challenges you were confronted with as you were writing her in the first person? Um, guilt that I was writing in a first person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, getting over writer's guilt. Okay, yes, yeah. we we can address how you do that later. What other yeah. what other challenges were you confronted with? None. Really, it was it yeah. was just Isn't you were feeling that you were feeling guilty about about indulging in this particular yeah. authorial yeah. voice. Yeah. Okay, why? Oh, just because it is a beginner's it is a beginner's tactic, and I've spent enough time chunking out. Writing that I knew that I could do uh, third person, but but Vashti's, Vashti's story needed to be told in the first person because she is so messed up. <laughs> she is a very unreliable narrator, and but but then and that just makes that much more that that's much more so much more evidence and and weight to support the choice of stepping yep. into that first person vibe. Absolutely. Yep. And, and is that how you overcame that guilt was was just affirming this is the best way I'm doing the right thing I'm gonna press on yeah pretty much it, it just it was how it needed to be told would you redo it now that you've told the story you know all the nuance would you go back and change it to third person do you think no <laughs> There's Excellent. plenty of other novels to be written in third person. Well, yes. Okay, let's 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 go ahead and postulate. You have a TARDIS and all the time in the world. Uh, uh, is there any part of you that would seize the opportunity to go back and and take the quote more professional route and run it as a third person story, or do you think it's stronger as a first person piece? It has to be first person. The response that I've gotten from readers indicate that uh, their level of identification with Vashti was mm. such that first person was the correct choice. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Awesome. And and that's then that is pretty much the final arbiter of of success or failures or writers is that connection with the yep. fans as they read it. Absolutely. Awesome. I wanted to touch on something that Dave mentioned about Archangel. A lot of authors talk about the difficulty of working with past story ideas and stuff. So I was wondering what sort of retrofitting you had to do with your original story ideas, um, figuring out what to keep and what to oh, leave behind oh, okay. of, their old, of their original ideas from their misspent youth of story ideas <laughs> and fan fiction um, to a professional setting and a professional level plot. Well, with regards to Archangel, I didn't have any leakage so to speak, of previous uh, stories. It was all mm-hmm. clean slate from the get-go. Now, of course, during the writing, there were some things that I had to abandon. Gotcha. It's, you know, extraneous characters or plot points or subplots that just didn't work. But mostly, mostly it was a straight shot. I was very lucky. Just out of curiosity, I, I don't know if you can uh, deconstruct uh, uh, how that worked, but when you encounter something in a story... Uh, can can you describe what that instinct is that says this isn't working, this character? For example, you run across a character and you decide to cut them. How does that decision get made? Where do you realize, what are the symptoms of having, for example, uh, uh, too many characters or, or any of the other edits and trims that you made out? Can you, can you give our listeners some sort of, uh, I don't know, a signpost or a prescriptive to say, you know, if this is happening and that is happening, you might need to trim out your cast list. Well, it has to do with the 
uh, dictum of kill your darlings. <laughs> why, why are you putting this character in? Is How self-indulgent are you are you being with this? Are you putting this character in just because you think they're hot and you want to have your proxy bang them at some point? Or <laughs> is, is this really going to contribute to your story? Now, sometimes characters will turn out to be useful when you didn't initially suspect that they could be. Um, but yeah, you have to ask yourself, first of all, why, why is this person here? What are they going to contribute or is it gratuitous? Okay. I can see that. Well, and then, then, then that is a question that needs to be asked pretty much every scene, every chapter. Is it driving yeah. the story forward? Yeah. Is, is this in service to the message that I'm trying to convey? Right. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Marguerite Reed after this brief promotional break. A Nazi's dying note names a Chicago filmmaker. A disabled girl goes missing in the San Francisco underworld. A serial killer stalks the Idaho lake country. Mysterious deaths terrorize a Montreal hospital. A ghostly murder threatens New Mexico's upper crust. A wayward will and a summer of strife bring murder to Memphis. A tech mogul finds a shadow world of depravity and murder beneath the streets of New York. A cross-country chase to find a mob treasure threatens the witness's family. A billionaire eager to clear his name cracks open Chicago's deepest perversions. And one of the most famous hard-boiled detectives of all time shares his most baffling adventures. This is Dark Justice, a dark mystery bundle by the best voices of the 20th century and the most promising talents of the 21st. Ten books... Ten adventures, ten puzzles to twist you in knots by ten voices that will haunt you long after the last page turns. Set your own price and get Dark Justice now at storybundle.com slash crime. Offer ends November 19th. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Marguerite Reed. And along those lines, did you have a message, do you think, Marguerite, that you were trying to convey? Or was this, a, was this a, just an exploration into, a, into a, a, an intriguing world and an intriguing culture? Well, now, how do I answer that fairly and yet not have people say, oh, it's just a message book? Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that, you know, and that kind of speaks to that, that whole level of, you know, why do we write? Uh, uh, are we, are, is it just a matter of, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin, one of your, one of your personal heroes has, has often, uh, championed the, the cause of writing to, to disturb and yeah. to upset people. And to do that, you kind of need them an agenda, and I use that word very, very carefully because I understand that there's this whole thing going on out in the world about writers with agendas. Oh no, just tell a story. It's like, but that's not how it works, is it? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you find agendas sneaking into your story. I found certainly found some issues sneaking into the novel that I didn't dream of at the outset. Uh, which is kind of disturbing because I like to have control over my material. But yeah, there were, there were messages that I wanted to explore, certainly about environmentalism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and feminism. But I, you know, the environmentalism came across probably as rather heavy handed, uh, but 
too bad. But it's such a cool <laughs> world. It's such the, a cool world. Oh, my God. The, the feminism, though, um, well, initially uh, overt uh, the character of Vashti and her her existence as championing feminism. There are some things in there that disturb some people, apparently. So she's not as easy a message character as some might think. Well, and a brilliant, if I, if I may indulge myself in a bit of, of flagrant, oh, oh my gods, uh, uh, but a brilliant setup for a character, having her be the wife of a fallen war hero and bearing that that stigma, that stigma, sure, uh, uh, or or that that heritage, that legacy, as she continues in her role as an environmental champion for sure, made by proxy. Yeah, uh, what a, what an incredible framework uh, uh, and a rich framework to bring in world building, cultural integrations, uh, uh, and and a very very intimate connection to not only the power of, of our histories and our backgrounds and our choices, but what we do with them moving forward. Yeah, I don't think I did as good a job as what you described. <laughs> I want to read the book that you were describing. I, well, and we all get what we want. And we all invest in the books that we read, uh, the things that we want to see as well. So, so it, 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 you know, everybody, every reader is going to pluck a different thing from a story. So, well, let's actually, I want to talk a little bit more about that feminist perspective. Um, I, I was reading a blog post from somebody who was describing their experiences in feminist SF panels at Armadillo Con this year. Oh, God. This blogger actually called out Marguerite as taking on the role of the contrarian in the context of the discussion and nudging the discussion into unexpected places. And I love a good con and I love a good contrarian. So that comment really tweaked my interest. So could you shed a little light on what the contrary stance was that you took and, and what places did it lead the conversation? Well, first I'm going to be a little contrary in saying she didn't call me out and in a negative way. She, no, 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 certainly not. No. Right. Yeah. That, um, was, that was not a negative connotation, but she did mention you by name. Yeah, she did. Uh, so she did. Um, the uh, panel was about uh, women in science fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, it was led by the eminently talented and capable Jessica Reisman. I think I'm pronouncing her last name right. Okay. Uh, and it went along the standard mentions of our foremothers so to speak in science mm -hmm. fiction and which is all well and good they they need to be remembered they need we need to remember that uh, there were so many women who went before the women writers of today um, not only in the sort of dawn of science fiction history like C.L. Moore or Andre Norton or but uh, also the more recent people like Eleanor Arneson and, and McCaffrey well, yeah, Anne McCaffrey, yeah, except she's she's a little less recent than than people like Eleanor Arneson. Right. Uh, Cameron Hurley. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, now Cameron Hurley, I would put classify her as as in the current generation. Mm, okay. Yeah, very much she, so. She would be she would be the one who is on the panel being contrary, I think. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it's it's good to remember those people, but to be honest, because I've been lucky enough to participate in cons and attend panels. I wanted to see something different. So I think I mentioned that, that, okay, this is all very well, but what's going on now? Okay. And that's, that was pretty much the extent of it. 
Well, and what do you see is going on now? What is exciting about uh, uh, women advancing in science fiction? The fact that they're advancing. Yeah, the fact that they're advancing. The fact that there are more voices. That's one of the wonderful things about the Internet. Even though people complain about it so much, the Internet has given a voice to people who previously were unable to be heard. Now, Preach it, sister. <laughs> Preach it, sister. You're talking to podcasters here. We are down with that. That's right. Well, it's, you know, it's like a Gutenberg's printing press. Very much so. Right. That was a singularity then. The Internet is a singularity now. And like any big deal event or revolution, there are going to be difficult times until it all settles down. And there are lines being drawn, which which boggles my mind. Uh, uh, you know, if if you're truly in favor of good storytelling, uh, uh, it, why does the source? Why is the source relevant? Why is the source of the story? If it's mm-hmm. a good story, where where does it matter where it comes from? Well, you know as well as I do that people are going to think that origins are going to quote taint untaint the. <laughs> <laughs> the um, material story yeah the material itself people are going to think oh because this person is a person of color or because this person is a woman or because this person is transgender that it's not going to be a good story that it's just going to be a message story Mm. but on the other hand people who are the supposed default in science fiction that is you'll forgive me dave uh cis white straight males yep their stories are going to be just as tainted as anybody else's absolutely I mean, to kind of go back to the mention of first person being sort of a crutch for immediacy and uh, and identification from the audience, there is a perceived notion of the audience being all, you know, straight, white, cis males. Yes, yes exactly. And that that idea also lends to the thinking that you know, people of color, people who are transgendered or in some or women or in some other form of minority are not going to appeal to as vast an audience. Right. Right. And I think that's just horseshit. Well, and, and you, really, it kind of ties back to what you were talking about with the Internet. You know, with the Internet, information and culture became global. Uh, uh, and and that paradigm shift, that singularity, as you described it, is is the ramifications that are still shaking out. And the idea that our stories are now global uh, uh, and the writers of those stories are now global and the readers and consumers of those stories are now global is is a fact, I think, that is only just now this deep into the Internet revolution <laughs> is is actually finally taking root and and starting to create an itch in those people that have problems with change uh, uh, and problems embracing uh, a different worldview and and those early adopters and those front runners, those frontier blazers that that lead the way into a new paradigm of storytelling. So it's 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 growing pains, and and we're struggling uh, to get through them, and and being confronted by 
by both champions of both sides, and it's it falls to the. I'm not, I was just going to say the rest of us, but honestly, it's not the rest of us. We're all participants and have equal weight in this. We have equal skin in this game, the horse in the we race. Do. We and, do have equal skin in this game. And of course, people who say that they opt out of that, they're making it uh, just as valid and impactful. Ooh, that's a terrible word. Uh, <laughs> I use weighty, it all the time. It's good. <laughs> weighty, weighty a choice as, as anybody who stays in the trenches and fights. Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to invoke the, the classic rock band Rush, even if you choose not to decide, you have made a choice. Yep. And and uh, the implications of that choice may not be uh, uh, clear initially, but they do have long, long standing imp- implications. Absolutely. Well, Marguerite, I'm curious. Uh, uh, when you started off being a writer, to, to yep. commit to being a writer, you were committed to becoming a fantasy author. Uh, and now your first book is a sci-fi book, and you, and you've yeah. gone out and said you want to be the go-to author for hard science fiction, but <laughs> some of the works that you're planning for the future are not. They're very definitively historical. And, and obviously, no author needs to be one thing, and I'm not at all espousing the notion of the cubbyholing of the author, but I am curious about that evolution and what's transitioned you from those fantastical impulses of your younger days into the fascination with science fiction and now what's drawing you into these more historical perspectives this is easy (laughs) so reading fantasy from a young age from like around 10 on up you know you want to imitate what you read what you love Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was so desirous of being a high-quality author. I wanted to get to the root of where did fantasy come from. Uh, so I started reading you know, the source material, epics, the Eddas, etc. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to get the nuts and bolts of, okay, so we have a quasi-medieval world. How did things work in a quasi-medieval world? <laughs> so then I started reading medieval history. Especially mm-hmm. with regards to the technology, you know, where did they live? What did they do? How did they make all these magic swords? And so I fell in love with history when I was a teenager, and that is when I started to want to write historical fiction. Okay. Actually, when I was in college, uh, and then I, you know, lived some life. And how did I come to science fiction? I really, honestly, was just playing around, and I felt I didn't have any particular uh, – I wasn't invested in it, so I felt a particular kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. I'd always enjoyed uh, science-y things, like with the dinosaurs and the prehistoric mammals, etc. And so I just – I started playing, playing by the rules, but still playing. And so, really, it's been a series of love affairs with genres. And I can't think of a better motivation to get a writer to the writer's table than having a love affair with the the stories and the genres that you're engaging <laughs> with. That's perfect. And I can totally see, you know, you know, describing, you know, world building. You know, I, I can see a lot of science fiction writers having the world building of their fantasy world actually being a gateway drug (laughs) into science fiction because that leads you down uh uh you know the geology of things and the meteorology of things and and what is the physics of magic 
for those that have at least that bent of mm. wanting to know root causes and so on. And some of us are very compulsive that way. <laughs> Not that I'd have any understanding of that at all. Uh, but that makes perfect sense. I can totally see that. I'd like to get Brad Bolliard on here. He's a he's a notorious world builder uh, uh, and, and writes epic fantasies. But I, I'm betting there's a science fiction story in him <laughs> waiting to, to burst out. So was that was that the was that that was the arc then? This this was a progression yeah. of 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 passions that that interconnected and wove you to this point. Do you do you have any uh, uh not passionate romances going on now, but is, are there any flings that you're having with other genres that you may explore later on down the road? Oh, a little bit of horror. There's a fling down the road there. <laughs> uh, Western type stuff, which, you know, is historical, but there's uh, plans I've got with a collaborator. Ooh. Um, yeah, for Western horror. Ooh. Yeah. Very which is cool. interesting. There's a book that, a young adult book that was just released uh, recently, one of Delilah S. Dawson's, under Delilah S. Dawson's pen name, Lila Bowen, uh, which is called Wake of Vultures. And that's also kind of a, a horror Western. Very cool. Well, and Ragnarok Publications just came out with a Dead West, not just, it was a couple of years ago, but uh, the Dead West series, uh, which was also working that same vibe. I think that's going to be a genre to watch. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, there's a, there's a lot of rom And when I say use the word romance, I, I mean in a much larger sense. There's a romance. No, you mean it in the old sense. Yes, exactly. That old <laughs> Sweet we- sagas. Yeah, the Old West has that romantic allure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, with, with so much of pulp fiction coming back and those very iconic settings, uh, uh, I think I think readers are hungry for that. So I agree, Marguerite. This is definitely a, a genre to keep your finger on the pulse of. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, friends, the, the, the clock has has actually uh, uh, sported some sort of genetic modification and it's become something of a beast uh, uh, just staring at me with this these cold dead eyes and I can almost see the flames of malice burning deep in its heart so I can only assume uh, uh, that means that we're out of time I really hope that's what it means and and not that I, my hallucinations are getting worse uh, <laughs> but uh, Marguerite this has been marvelous. Uh, yeah, I'm it's been so, a lot of fun. It really has. And I appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing some insights and some explorations of, of your craft with us. It's, it's much appreciated. Oh, thank, you. thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, there was the, we, we kind of wandered fairly far afield in that particular discussion. There was some very cool stuff that was covered uh, in there. What's, what's your takeaway for this one? What are, you, what are you tucking in your writer's tool chest for this episode? <laughs> You know, I think the thing that struck me the most was the, um, it was a very brief mention, but just in this last little bit, talking about the flings with other genres, um, where Marguerite was saying that she had no pressure on her to write the science fiction story. And I think yeah. it's amazing uh, what happens when you take the pressure off yourself with writing. I couldn't agree more. How easy it becomes. So I think that's the takeaway for me is, you know, 
flirt with other genres <laughs> without feeling pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is a no commitment relationship. You don't have, you don't have no strings attached. That's no, right. You can be wonderfully polyamorous with genres. There you go. Oh, it's it's a yeah. genre with benefits. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're absolutely right. When you release yourself from from having to adhere to any kind of preconception or expectation, uh, that liberates your creative mojo and allows you to explore things on your terms, which will ultimately maybe become someone else's terms on down the road. That's fabulous. I love that. Uh, for me, it's, it's you know, I, as, as I explore my own craft, the, the, the authorial voice continues to be a, a, a topic of interest and curiosity. And, and the discussion about the, the first person narrative and, and an affirmation of its strengths uh, uh, and also the possible stigma uh, uh, that's associated with it uh, is, is intriguing. And it's, it's actually led me to perhaps, you know, once we once we turn off the record button to dive in a little bit and explore, try and quantify because that's how compulsive I am <laughs> to try and quantify uh, what those strengths of that particular voice are uh, uh, and and maybe maybe share that in a blog post and incorporate it into my own writing so that was very cool and that was just one of the many treats uh, uh, that we had uh, during the last 20 minutes friends thank you as always for tuning in I'm sure that there was a little bit of writerly goodness for you to tuck in your pockets as well and here's the awesome thing now that was fabulous we had a great time but come back in seven days we're going to have Marguerite back we're going to have Lauren back and then we're going to throw into the mix into into the chemistry uh, the strange science of this particular uh, experiment a, a courageous guest writer a creative and courageous guest writer to, to set the table for our brainstorming feast and friends such a feast it's going to be but I know that's seven days and that's a long damn time there's just there's we can't do this any faster guys lauren help us out here what 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 can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to to at least feel productive and and somehow add to their to their writerly chops unabashedly flirt <laughs> just in general or are you do you have well, some... i mean you know if that helps the writing sure but you know unabashedly flirt with story ideas with the genre with all of those things that uh are maybe buried deep under this, uh, under the pressure of should be writing so and so or this particular passion. If you've had any, you know, eyelash batting moments at other <laughs> stories and genres, maybe dive into that a little bit and see what you can come up with that might enrich your, you as a writer or you in general as a reader, even. You can read some different stuff. Yeah. See, pen to paper. <laughs> and Lauren, that's why I so enjoy having you on as my co-host. That concept of flirtation carries with it so many connotations of playfulness, of 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 possible, you know, passion, uh, uh, and the potential for so many different things. That modality, that mindset is a wonderful way to approach your creative process. I love that. I'm, I'm going to write a, well, you actually should probably write a blog post about that. Uh, <laughs> but Dude, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the throes of the last quarter of a book, so you go write it. I'll go write that bad boy because <laughs> I've got nothing to do either. <laughs> Somebody out there, write that blog post. <laughs> And friends, I will tell you, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look 
for the holy crap, I wasn't expecting that. Look for the fabulosity in life. And friends, if you look for it, I promise you, you will find it. And we will see you in just seven days. So until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.